the free for all roundtable round one Joining me on the panel on round one today, Dave Trafford, host and producer of On the Ledge, the Ontario Politics Podcast, Toronto lawyer Courtney Betty of Betty's Law, and she's back, principal at Navigator and News Talk 1010 show host, Amanda Galbraith. <laughs> Sweet, sweet Friday. Thanks Welcome for having back, me back. Yeah. You forgot Thank to you. talk about her new career as a mom. That's the full-time <laughs> gig. The great adventure. It's a, it's a lot harder than the old one. That's for sure. I'll tell you. <laughs> you didn't see that coming? Uh, yeah, no, I, I mean, that's the best intro I've ever had, Jerry, but I, I will say I've missed you guys. I've missed the morning, so I'm super pumped to be back on the panel, and uh, hopefully Bruno doesn't make an appearance too early. So. <laughs> okay. Um, well, let's start with you. Ontario's in dire need of healthcare workers, but more than 90 students who graduated from a private college program to be ultrasound technicians have been told they won't be allowed to get jobs, some kind of goof up with the accreditation of the school, which has actually been around for a while and has a number of programs. Um, what's the make good for these students, Amanda? Yeah, I mean, this story looks, it's just, it's sad on all accounts, right? I mean, the school looks like they're doing everything they can. They've got the machines and the equipment. They're refunding people. as, But that's two years of students' lives, I think two years of time lost. So refund is one thing, but one would hope that perhaps the regulator, maybe they could do a special exam or some sort of to accredit these students we need these workers in the workplace um and it sounds like they've learned quite a bit and this is a bureaucratic snafu of anything yeah courtney betty how does the school not know that that's that that would be the issue well i mean that's that's part of the challenge but from everything that's out there the school sounds like a credible institution they've been around a long time so i think amanda i agree with amanda we need to see is there some sort of a special accommodation um, that can be made by the regulator just to ensure that what the students learned what is the proper curriculum, um, though at the time the school did not have uh, the paperwork for accreditation. But that's, but that's a loophole, isn't it, Dave? Well, I just think that the, the issue here is that they've got 20 years in business, 15 other programs they know what it means to be accredited i don't understand how ethically they could have offered a program that they knew was not covered by accreditation they admit that they were having problems getting the accreditation process done delays because of pandemic i'm putting more of this on the college well, sure, but it can't be put on the students. I, I, well, we, but we don't know based on what what they learn. We don't have we have no idea whether or not they're capable of being proper technicians in, in a hospital. So, sure. Dave, I'm sorry. It doesn't. Amanda's right. It doesn't take two more years of school to find that out. No, I agree with that, but I, I, I'm not sure how, um, you know, the, 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 how we we're going to fix that problem in the short term, um, and it's going to take two years by the time they figure out a solution. Really, it take that long? There's an exam, isn't there? Uh, see if they can pass the exam. Well, whatever the accreditation is, you know, they're they're clearly saying that they weren't accredited. Move on. Uh, the government doesn't seem to have an <coughs> sorry have a solution for this either. I mean, it, either way. Well, that's a shock. 
Okay, Toronto's Auditor General received more complaints of wrongdoing through its waste hotline last year than ever before. And in some cases, city workers were fired for fraud. Here's a couple of examples of the kind of things that were happening. An employee lied about uh, their job, their earnings, household status to fraudulently collect $86,000 in municipal subsidies while working full-time for the city. Another one, and people know this goes on, uh, was off supposedly doing some kind of city work in a city truck, but wasn't doing city work, was doing a second job at a landscaping company, got caught because of city vehicle GPS data. Another city employee was found to have fraudulently used sick days in order to work a second job. That employee was terminated. Are you shocked by this, uh, Courtney Betty, or just happy the city is finally catching up to people? Well, I'm, I'm happy the city is catching up, but, you know, um, are we saying that municipal workers, there's other industries as well that have the similar challenges where individuals use uh, corporate property or for their own benefit? Um, you know, I, I don't know if it's something that I would say is unique to the city workers, but I'm glad that they found what the issue is. It's probably not unique to city workers, but I, I, a lot of people, and I'd be one of them, Amanda, who cynically think it's easier to do if you work for the government. <laughs> it might i know it might be i'm not sure i know some uh anyway i know some folks have some creative jobs and creative double uh side hustles as people say but yeah listen i think this is this shows that it's working right i'm not always the biggest fan of these hotlines i think they're kind of gimmicky but um you know these are clear violations um they were caught these people have been punished and we know about them which is important right sometimes this stuff happens we don't have that kind of transparency and yeah courtney's totally 100 percent correct this happens in the private sector all the time um i deal with that part of it in my my other job when i'm not being a mom <laughs> and uh um so i think at least we know about it it's good that as weird as it sounds it's good that it's increasing because it says people are aware of the hotline they know that it's there and they're reporting things and people are being punished for it which one is the side hustle mom or navigator <laughs> <laughs> right now, navigator. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, Dave, you do the the uh, podcast on the ledge, the Ontario Politics podcast. I think we, we probably need a hard look at this kind of stuff provincially as well. Well, for sure. Uh, but I think to, to, to Amanda's point, it's kind of like a double-edged sword here. We we hate the hotline because it sounds like a snitch line, but this seems to be the only reason that it works. There, Otherwise, there's no infrastructure in place. Um, you know, the Auditor General is great. All, all the Auditor General is doing is reporting on the result of what came from the hotline. Generally, the auditor generals, they'll come out with their report, and there's nothing enforceable about it. In this case, at least, there is an infrastructure in place, albeit because of the, the hotline, um, that makes sure that people are held to account. All right. And meanwhile, a uh, report finds large corporations spent billions on dividends and share buybacks while receiving government wage subsidies. Now, this is a report that was done by the Canadians for Tax Fairness. And what they looked at was 37 corporations that had received Canada emergency wage subsidy and yet spent money on dividends, share buybacks, and uh, taking over other companies. And this is interesting. I'm, I'm not not defending anybody who perpetrated some kind of fraud, Amanda, but there isn't necessarily a cause and effect between those various things. Uh, no. So, I mean, it's funny. I think we're all looking back at some of the pandemic measures, be it the punitive ones, the fine, you know, people working out on park benches and getting $850 fines from the city um, to these measures and sort of with, with you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? Um, I think Sue's, that program, was successful. The government got it out. I can't believe as fast as they did. It likely saved a lot of people's jobs and houses and lives. 
um, and companies are going to take advantage of it. Now, should they be issuing dividends and, you know, whatever at the same time? Maybe, maybe not. Should they be issuing bonuses? Probably not. Um, but we don't know what the decisions were made in, in that time to, should that company can survive. So I think it's not, the optics are terrible, um, but it was all about making sure people kept their jobs, kept employed. And I think that's an important part of that program. How does it look to you, Courtney? Well, I, I think, you know, we went through a period of time, and, and it is a big challenge, you know, Jerry. When you look at what's happening right now, a lot of money is wasted. And we're, we're, we're in an, I won't call it an economic crisis, but for many people who can't afford to put food on their table, pay their rent, um, those are the ones that need help. So a program was created, and, the, you know, it's a, it's a good program. The only issue is, Government did not put, simply said, well, these funds should be used for A, B, C, D, and E. It's simple. You put that in the, in, 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 in the policy, and then there's no issue. And if the company that doesn't use it, then you have you know, some sort of uh, going back at them. But to give them money without any restrictions... That was a huge mistake on the part of the federal government. All right, Dave, uh, apparently, according to a report by the Building Industry and Land Development Association, along with the Federation of Rental Housing Providers of Ontario, we're on track to add about 135,000 rental units over the next 10 years, but we need 312,000. Build, build, build. Does that sound sensible to you? Well, it does, except this is really focusing on rental units, right? And and I think it's a real, it's an interesting part of that housing market that we really have to deal with. It's okay to say, you know, I own a condo, I'm not going to be living in it for a while, I'm going to rent it. But there's no stability there for the folks who are renting. And the, the issue is here to be able to create units that are specifically for people who want to be lifelong renters, to have some stability in there. And there's very few of those units. And quite frankly... You know, I think it's probably more on the, the the ROI for the developers in terms of, you know, w- how attractive that is. But this is this is the gap in our housing approach, both federally and and municipally. I mean, we talk about you know the Affordable Housing Act and all that kind of stuff. That's great. We're going to build a million units and so on. But there's nothing in there that guarantees two things, necessarily the affordability part of it. And this is a major gap. As our population ages and some of us decide that we're going to take the money out of our house as our retirement fund and we're going to rent as opposed to buy, that's the demographic that needs to be serviced here. And I think that we're really missing it. So that number, in fact, may be uh, low in terms of the demand that's coming based on the uh, the folks that are likely to retire and want rental units. Okay, but Amanda, if we're going to build 312000 units that can't be houses no it can't be houses um it's got to be all kinds of mixed use and i think like dave's totally correct purpose-built rental is a very specific kind of thing um you're seeing more developers get into it but i don't think it's incentivized enough candidly um for that i also think building is tough in this province building there's lots of red tape there's lots of restrictions the fees are enormous those are all those are passed on to consumers by the way anyone thinks they're not they're dreaming yeah so this is one more alarm bell happening around this okay before i go to courtney how would you define purpose-built housing purposeful rental or housing well, purpose with purpose-built units is what they're saying. Yeah. So purpose-built rental is basically you build, like there's one down the street from me. You build an apartment building, all of it is rental. So either that person owns it or they sell it to be owned. But it's not as if I rent my condo out as an individual. So it's a building where everything in there, all the homes, all the townhouses are designed to be rented, not owned. 
Oh, great. Uh, Courtney, uh, part of the reason that we'll have more rentals is people are giving up on buying houses. And that's, you know, that happens in big cities because single uh, family homes are just enormously expensive. Well, I mean, it's really a a financial situation. At the end of the day, we have a, a large part of our population who can't afford to own a home, who can't afford to rent. So uh, Amanda is absolutely correct. We need to figure out how do we deal with those individuals and create a structure. And it has to be a partnership between government and, and private industry. And we know there's always some challenges with that. All right. I appreciate it very much. It's Dave Trafford, Courtney Betty, and we've welcomed back to the morning show Amanda Galbraith. And I have to tell you, Amanda, I'm a little disappointed that we didn't hear from the kid. Hey, hey I was muted. And, too. <laughs> I was muted and shoving a soother in his mouth, so he was he was yelling. I'll tell you that. <laughs> All right, thank Robert's going to try that with Jerry now. Yeah. <laughs> Catch the roundtable round one at seven forty-five, round two at eight forty-five. Weekday mornings on More in the Morning News Talk ten ten Toronto.